You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, hello, Tim and I want to welcome you to Grace today. Wherever you'll be worshiping, whether it's in the auditorium or the cafe online or in the venue, thank you for joining us today. And today we want to start with a little, a little bit different bent, a couple questions for you. Yep. So think back in your mind, who was your favorite teacher or coach and why? Who was your favorite teacher or coach and why? Got that in your mind? I do. Got it? Okay. And then separately, who was your least favorite teacher or coach and why? What made them your least favorite? I know. For most of you, well, this is your like third time. So anyway, um, so most of you, probably an image popped in your head right away, and it wasn't because of the information that they conveyed. There's probably something else about that teacher that you loved or did not like. Yeah, mine, mine's really easy. My worst teacher ever was an eighth grade teacher who <clears throat> told me and then told my mom, uh, he's a below average student who would never amount to anything. So thank you for that eighth grade English teacher. And then on a positive side for me, my ninth grade history teacher believed in me, didn't let me settle, knew how much I could do and expected me to do my very best, the whole class. He took us as a reward on a camping trip over the summer for a few weeks where we were in charge of navigating with with maps, remember that, maps, and um, gas, we had to fuel the tank, we had to plan the meals, we had to set up, he just gave me this responsibility, and we had a thing where you could never be even one minute late, and 28th graders, 9th graders, we did it, and we were never one minute late. And see, our stories of our favorites and least favorites, we know each other's, they're not related to the information. The topic is quite irrelevant, it's how they inspired us, challenged us, or ran us down, Uh, My mom was a teacher in the public school system for almost 30 years. She landed in her perfect fit job in the Raytown School District as a special education teacher. And her kids loved her, not for the information. They loved her because she she knew she cared for them. She desperately loved her kids. And my mom told me, but she was always amazed to uncover teachers who she suspected did not like kids. (laughs) That were in the public school system or any school system. She also mentioned this. She always customized her teaching style for the child. You got to customize your teaching style for the group. If you're a leader, you teach. If you're a parent, you teach. You're a discipler, you teach. You got to customize it like Tim Elmore says. Tim Elmore, actually, the Kansas City Royals bring Tim Elmore in on a regular basis to teach their coaches and administrators how to lead millennials in the workforce, the millennial generation. He also talks about how parents can lead their children. It's a website, growingleaders.com, which I encourage you, growingleaders.com. I read that newsletter every single week. We both do. Here's a quote about leadership and teaching. He says, people are like chess pieces, not checkers. Checkers is very simple because all the pieces look and move alike. In chess, however, we must know what each piece can do and how it moves, so it is with teaching. People aren't all alike. They must be taught differently, like my mom taught people differently, based on their personality and strengths. Today, 
Our topic is teaching. We talked about bad teachers, good teachers, customizing teaching. I need you to teach me. We're going to begin in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have a Bible, you can join us. 1 Corinthians 13, our ushers have Bibles, pens, and message notes that if you're new, you can raise your hand, get a hold of those, or a great way, go paperless, go to visitgracechurch.com slash live, or use the Grace Church app to download the electronic message notes. And if you have any questions during the series or today about parenting or discipleship, we strongly encourage you to text them at the number that's on the handout or up on the screen, 913-274-9670. Any question you have, we will try and answer on May 7th and 8th with the Q&A panel. Yeah, so every leader is called on to teach, to pass on stuff. Every discipler, that's the heart of teaching. Every parent in the context of a home is teaching, discipling. We're talking about five needs that people we teach need from us. We think some of these will challenge what you're doing in life. Perhaps they might challenge even what you believe to be true. But we hope God speaks to you with his Holy Spirit. And so Kathy's going to pray for us. Dear Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit does lead us, that your Holy Spirit teaches us and will tell us what we need to do. Father, I pray we would just be quiet now and listen to you. Lord, teach us what we need to do next. Thank you that you um, are with us in our whole journey and that you um, believe in us that we are able to do it, that you want us to disciple our kids. You want us to disciple others. Father, I pray you would be obedient to you and we would do what you ask us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I've got the first thing that our teams need or our disciples need for us to actually teach them. And the first thing is love. And you can write down your notes. Number one, you can write this sentence down. I need to know you love me before you teach me. Like, I need to know that you love me before you open your app or try to give this great information because I don't care what you know if you don't care about me. That's a great quote from Teddy Roosevelt, by the way. I've read John Maxwell over the years. His books on leadership, John Maxwell's books, changed my life, changed my leadership. But he quotes Teddy Roosevelt, this quote, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's totally true. This principle, by the way, Teddy Roosevelt stole from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 in Jesus' name. Uh, Kathy has the verse. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging symbol. Yes. Clash! Very good. Trying to teach us great information. Clash! Honk! Clash! Honk! Could be great advice. Tongues of angels must be awesome advice, but that's what it sounds like. Loveless. It makes me think, and we have a video clip in a minute, of Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, Miss Othmar. She used to, I hear you laughing, you know where I'm going, that she used to have uninspiring teaching that the kids couldn't even get. So listen to her voice on this video clip. So I think we all laugh because we've been in classes like that. Wah, 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 wah. That's, by the way, that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, that if someone doesn't think you love them, you have the thing they need. You want to give them information, but you're just noise to them. In fact, I want you to think in your mind, is there somebody in your world you're trying to communicate with? Like you're really trying, but you suspect that you've become noise to them. Wah, 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 wah. You're sounding brass, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Maybe you need to step back and build the relationship, make sure they know that you love them, 
Because the reason they don't care what you're saying, however right it is, is they suspect you care more about the information than them. People need to know, I need to know you love me before you teach me. That's the first need. It goes from love, the first need, to modeling is the second need. And Kathy has this one. Right, you may want to write this one down. Number two, you teach me more by what you do than what you say. That's true. You teach me more by what you do than what you say. This is all the teaching that we do without words. The life that we live, that they're watching and modeling. We're working really hard this week, um, all kinds of things going on, and so Malin is wandering around, and suddenly I look at her, purple permanent marker all the way up her arm on her tummy, and I fear where else it still is on the house that we haven't yet discovered. Yeah, purple everywhere. And I'm ready to get angry, because she knows. We've had this conversation before, unfortunately. Yeah, we had two funerals this week, not one, two funerals. I had two work retreats this week, two work retreats, and then Wednesday night, we look at the message fully formed, and we feel like God told us to trash the entire message and write a brand new message for the weekend on Wednesday night. And she's running around, we're trying to prep, and she's running around, this happens, and you're going to teach her at this point, we don't write on yourselves. And I was just about like, no, you know not to do that, and she goes, Kiki, which stands for Karina, who's our older daughter, and then went, oh, because... Karina writes notes on her hand sometimes to remember things. And Malin was just modeling her older sister, Karina, who we suggested you need to use that app on the phone instead of your hand anymore. And, and don't miss this, guys. This is so true for all of us. We have taught Malin you don't write on yourself, but it's being modeled in the home that you write on yourself. And which one out? You teach me more by what you do than what you say. And this goes to Proverbs 23, 26. It starts out, my son, give me your heart. That goes back to point one, the love part. I want you to know, look, I love you. But then the second part is, and let your eyes observe my ways. That's modeling. Look at what I do and follow me. And guys, if I have one verse in the Bible for parenting, and I'm only given one verse, this verse is it. Proverbs 23, 26. I need to go after people's heart. As a leader, I need to go after my team's heart in any context. It's love. And then I need to live the life that I want them to do because it doesn't matter what I say, they'll do what I'm doing first before what I say. And so this whole imitation thing, learning for what we do, Malin does this all the time. So I'll shave upstairs, and whether it's the razor or the electric razor, she goes, oh, me, me, me. She wants to shave her beard like her dad. So I'll turn that electric razor around, and I'll shave your beard. She's just, she's shaving her beard. She wants to be, she's learning by what you do more than what you say. Jacob and Karina were like this. We never told our kids, you're going to be in music. I simply played trombone. She played piano. Guess what? Jacob played trombone. Uh, Krita played piano, then went on to percussion. They learn by what we do more than what we say. Like recently, even I had an interaction with an adult. My behavior in a conversation was inappropriate. My behavior destroyed safety. I apologized on the spot. But later, I felt prompted by by God. My apology wasn't good enough. So I went back. And I specified, hey, privately, I think I sinned with you multiple ways at that point. And this is the sin I committed, and this is the sin I committed, and this is the sin. I destroyed safety in the conversation. I sinned, I sinned, I sinned. Would you please forgive me for this sin 
and this sin and this sin. And they graciously granted forgiveness for me. And something that I've never done in my entire career, destroying safety like that. And so I believe that if I sat and taught this person, here's how you own things. Here's what, how you apologize. Here's that, that would have been far less powerful than me doing it. You'll never forget doing it. People learn more by what you do than what you say. My question, are you, are you living Proverbs 23, 26? My favorite leadership verse, going after people's hearts, love, and then modeling what you want before you ever open your mouth, that's your ways. There's a third word. They need love first. We've not opened our mouth. They need modeling, not open our mouth. Now we open our mouth. And that's number three, instruction. And that's number three. You can write it down. I need you to teach me how you walk with God. I need you to teach me how you walk with God. Now, people get freaked out, and we've talked about this. They get freaked out. Okay, we need teachers in the preschool. I can't do that. I don't know what to say. And then you teach people at home. What do I say? But what you say is what you know. You are the expert on how you pray. You're the expert on how you read the Bible. You're the expert on how you hear from God, how you follow God, what God's done. Don't, Don't teach what you don't know. Teach what you do know. Teach them how you walk with God. That's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul says, learn from my walk with God. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 is like follow the leader, three in a row. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Christ is in front, and so I'm trying to follow Christ, second in line, and follow the leader. You're behind me. Just do what I'm doing as I follow Christ. That is leadership. That's passing on your walk with Jesus Christ. And part of the process is sharing both real-world topics as well as spiritual practices. Kathy will take on the real-world topics. Yes, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine emailed me an article that was written by a Stanford dean. Which means it good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is good, though. About skills that 18-year-olds need. And you can find the article if you click on the link on the handout, or you could Google Stanford Dean Life Skills, or Tim recently just retweeted it, and it's on Facebook. It's a really great article. Read it. And the dean is talking about skills such as how to talk to strangers, or navigate directions, manage money. And he goes through those things, but then what we as well-intentioned parents do to sabotage them actually learning those things. Great article. I learned a lot from it. But you might be, okay, I'm not, I don't have an 18-year-old or anywhere near an 18-year-old. Where do, I, where do I start? And so an example for us of having a 2-year-old is one of the things I want to teach them early on is delayed gratification. How do I not give Malin everything she wants as soon as she wants it? Because that's what's natural for all of us, as Tim likes to say, even us as adults need to work on delayed gratification sometimes. Yep, me too. Um, So we don't buy her everything right away. Or we won't say no, but we'll say, okay, let's do this thing first, or let's earn, you know, as she gets older, let's earn this, and then we will get that. So that's one of the practices we're learning earlier on, life skills. That's something Kathy taught me. So I have the benefit of living with the Grace Kids director, learning how to deal with preschoolers. So I'm Captain No in my house. No, no, you get a no, and you get a no. I am Captain No, and she's, she's the queen of let's, that's a good thing later. I have learned this. It's delaying. Gratification is good. Later. So after this thing, 
Next week, tomorrow we'll do this. And it's like, I've learned, oh my goodness, that's gold. Delayed gratification. We have some faith practices we gave you on your message notes. These are things that we try to build around our high schoolers. We want them to do these because how in the world does your high schooler not drop their faith like a hot potato when they get to college? Studies have shown, these are studies, these practices help your high schooler survive the transition out of high school. And so things like student worship, I want them worshiping with students, student small groups. I want them in Bible studies, small groups with other students, adult worship, student worship's not enough. I want my kids with gray hairs and bald people because they need to know that the church doesn't look just like youth. They need to be part of adult worship, intergenerational ministry. I want adults ministering with them on the weekends or wherever ministries so they can get that mentoring. Missions experiences outside of our city and county, which is not the real world. It's Disneyland. It's not how most of the world lives. Personal prayer practices, personal Bible reading, and belief that the Bible is the very words of God. These practices, studies have shown, give your high schooler in that transition the best shot possible at having a survivable faith. But maybe that's a little bit of an overwhelming list. And again, you have younger kids. I want to give you three words for three different age groups. So you may want to write this down. Of if you have preschoolers, I would say the word is wonder. Yeah. And I'll come back in a second. Wonder. Wonder. If you have elementary kids, the word is discover. And then if you have students, the word is practice. So go back to wonder as elementary and um, preschool kids. They're, they're brand new. They're, the world is new to them. Everything is believable. God is everywhere but invisible and he hears me. I taught a four-year-old class and said, we're going to talk about talking to God. I'm going to talk to God right now. Watch. And they looked at me and I said, I just talked to God. And they were like, oh, yeah, he heard my head. That's wonderful. <laughs> wow. They're so fun. They're really my favorite. And then there's elementary kids that they're ready for the questions. Why does this happen? Let's put you back at the birth of Jesus. What was there? What did it smell like? What would you have felt? Asking them questions to get them to dive into the story and find the answers themselves. That's discover. And then practice is, let's start doing this. Let's, you do it on your own. Start practicing these faith skills. By the way, they're the same three phases you go through. If you're like a 47-year-old man who received Jesus last week, and you're a professional, and you're so wonderful, respected, you're also a week old spiritually. You're a baby spiritually, though you're a very respected person. You go through the same three stages. There's a stage in your life of preschool spirituality where there's a wonder, where God wants you to wow and be amazed by him. And then there's an elementary stage of discovery where you're like discovering that's what the Bible says and this is how God operates, discovery. And then there's practice of your teenage level faith where you're actually doing the very things you need to do when you pass it on to somebody else. It's the very same stages. And if you want to get some more practical tips, I really strongly advise you registering for our Grace at Home Teach Me workshop. We'll have special instructions for the younger, uh, the kids that are younger for the, those parents, and then the parents of older kids. Great how-to steps by parents that have been there and kind of their, their best tips. Yeah, we, we cleared off our schedule. We challenged our Grace Group couples to do whatever it takes Wednesday to be there at this breakout session. You've got to register online. We've done that. There's some golden principles that we need when we invest in people. Here's the question. If you're a follower of Jesus, who are you telling about your walk with Jesus? You don't have to teach everything about the Bible. 
Just teach them what you're the expert on. How do you pray? You know that. How do you read? You know that. How do you hear from God? You know that. How do you follow God? You know these things. You're doing these things. Who are you passing on the baton? All right. We went from love to uh, modeling to instruction. Finally, open our mouth. Now we've got to talk about boundaries, a fourth thing that our disciples need. Boundaries are good. Number four, I need you to teach me loving, gracious boundaries. Loving, gracious boundaries. Our kids need boundaries. Our disciples need boundaries. We need boundaries. boundaries. We all do. And why? Because those boundaries, they create safety and security of knowing where it's good to operate and where we need to stay away from. And But when those boundaries are unclear or inconsistent, our kids test them. They want to know what is the boundary. And so making it inconsistent is the worst thing because they'll test them that much more. But when they are consistent, what a wonderful opportunity to show our kids what grace is and show them this is how grace operates. I know that boundaries is a real struggle for our society. Henry Cloud has written all kinds of books about boundaries. So we as adults, we struggle too. you got a great book. It's called... Boundaries. Boundaries. It's actually a fantastic book, by the way. Um, here's the thing. We all need boundaries. And, and even in the workforce, your, your team needs boundaries to know where to operate. And by the way, we're going to talk about discipline in a second. You know God disciplines you if you're his child? If you read Hebrews 12, and if you disobey God ever in your life, which every child of God does, you'll sense internal discipline of the Holy Spirit. You'll sense bad things sometimes happening. You'll tie back. That's what, people are like, oh, I feel so bad for you. And you know, it's because I disobeyed and listened, didn't listen to God, right? So these kind of things sometimes do happen because God loves you. It's Hebrews 12, verse 9, says that our human fathers teach us about the Father. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Human fathers teach you about the Father. We wanted to talk for a moment about the long, calm process of gracious discipline. We want to talk about discipline for a second. We've, over the years, developed four phases to our discipline process. It takes a long time. It's got to be calm. I can't emphasize enough that if you're going to discipline, you've got to give yourself a time out if you're not calm. In fact, it's gold. You send them off to a room. We're going to have a conversation. They think they're in a timeout. You're in a timeout. You're giving yourself a timeout that they think is their timeout. Here are the four phases. If you want to write these down, the letter A is private discussion. The way we discipline, it begins with private discussion, not before everybody else, so it's embarrassing. Private discussion, and it's got to be calm. We, it's, it's basically just a series of questions. Here's the questions. So tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. What boundary got crossed? Yeah. And then... Tell me what should have happened. Like, where was the boundary? And now tell me, you talk about that. Now tell me, why is this important? And the answer always is God and the Bible. It's because of God. This is important because of God wants you to learn how to follow him. It's important because we always read a verse, or try to read a verse, the verse, that talks about that topic so they can learn how to follow God. That's private discussion. Then you go to phase two, which is private discipline. That's letter B, private discipline. Again, very calm, shockingly calm. You've had questions. Now you're going to calmly explain why we discipline. And I give this speech. Listen, I, I don't look forward to this moment. I'm not wanting to discipline. 
But I'm disciplining you because you need to learn that God will discipline you if you become his child. So you're going to learn how God disciplines by looking at this process. You need to learn how to follow God yourself. And then you explain the discipline. Here's what's coming. Then you implement the discipline. Like whatever tool or discipline you use. And there are several tools you can use. Sometimes just words and tone are discipline. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes timeouts. Sometimes a loss of an object or activity. One of our favorites is the loss of screens. No TV, computer, video games, phones, nothing. No screens. Grounding, another form of discipline. Spanking, another form of discipline. We're going to pause and talk about that for a moment. Spanking can absolutely be misused and abused. Absolutely, that is wrong. In fact, every form of discipline can be misused and abused. If you don't think harsh words and tone can be abusive... You might question your definition. But here's the thing I'm going to point out. Any abuse is wrong, but spanking can be used in a way that is calm and safe and helpful and not hurtful. And you can read the book of Proverbs about that. So whatever discipline tool you're using, it goes to a third phase, apology to the parent. Apology to the parent. This is where you actually say, now, you have to explain to someone, teach them how you apologize and how you ask for forgiveness. And so here's how you apologize. Here's how you ask for forgiveness. Okay, do that. And you coach them if it's not good enough. I go, well, here, I want to say this. I want to say that. And then you say, say, you, you say I, would you please forgive me for blank? Say those words. Great. I forgive you for blank. And it's gone. It's like it never happened. Hugs, it's gone, forgiveness, fourth phase. You also have to apologize to God. It's all done totally in private and calm. You know, you, I've forgiven you, but God, God needs to forgive you. You explain how to ask God to forgive them. You explain the prayer. You say why God forgives. Is Jesus paid for this sin? Go, pray. You can coach him in the prayer, and then you say, you guys, God forgave you? It's God. And you celebrate that moment. And then there's the comforting phase, which is only given in our house by the person who implements the discipline. They get to be the primary comforter. They can't be disciplined by one and run for comfort to the other. And so this is a, we don't apply this perfectly. This is simply our goal we're shooting for in the area of loving, calm, firm, gracious discipline, which teaches them about how God is going to handle this one day. Yeah, and just I'll say again, it is really hard. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, yeah. and we do not do it perfectly nope. in any way, but there are just the most amazing benefits when you can do it and do it with that calm yeah. um, demeanor. One of the things that I have, I have a book of quotes of my kids from the time they are able to talk, great little stories, things that you don't want to forget. And one of those was a moment when Jacob was three and a half and he'd had a time with Tim going through that four-step process and they'd gone through it all and were comforted. And I was carrying him, taking him up to his nap. And just spontaneously he said... Daddy loves me, and I love Daddy. And it really was because he knew the boundaries. He was safe and secure, and he was loved. No one was angry at him, and, and it, it drew us. It's crazy. It drew us closer. In fact, there are times that we go, oh, they're, they're like kind of disobeying, and they, we really need to go through this four-step. Like, they need to really screw up so that we can do this, and then it'll be good again. <laughs> we know they're guilty. We're just not sure what of. So here's the thing. Um, are you setting healthy boundaries? 
Are you a calm person? I'm talking even in the workforce. Are you a calm person who sets and maintains healthy, gracious boundaries? And how are you handling broken agreements? All right, boundaries. There's a final thing our disciples need, our teams need, or we're leading. It regards practice. And so number five, you can write down number five. I need to teach someone else how to walk with God. I need to teach somebody else how to walk with God. This is so true. I learned this years ago. One of our pastors on staff, Kent Lyles, uh, discipled me. And so I remember as a 19-year-old going through a series of books, of discipleship books. I finished it, thought I knew them until I got my first disciple, my first grace. And I was forced to teach somebody else. And I'm like, I have no idea. I learned more teaching the material than I ever did listening. That's where we all are. You want to really learn something? You teach someone else what you were taught. That's exactly what 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says. Paul was trying to convince his disciple Timothy, second generation, to teach uh, faithful men, a third generation, to others also a fourth generation. Look at the verse. And the things that you, second generation, have heard from me, first generation, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, third generation, who will be able to teach others also, fourth generation. Your disciples need to teach someone else before they ever will get it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the first generation. The 12 was the second generation. The 70 were the third generation, and they taught others also. And this is so important to get your disciples to teach somebody else what you taught them. And there are already many examples that Grace students are beginning to do this. Two examples are a few years ago we had some high school students like uh, Cole Kedney and Rachel Widazak that they started a Bible study and they were investing in other people. And now a few years later, the people they invested are now teaching others themselves and that cycle is continuing through generations. Another example, when I'm not here, then at 11 o'clock I teach the uh, second grade class and one of the people that I teach with is a high school junior named Reagan Cassing. She leads a table. There are several second graders there. And Evie Raby is one of the second graders who looks to Reagan as her teacher and said just recently, when I grow up, I want to be just like her. So that passing down is happening as well. And if I was not a pastor, if I was just some guy leading a family, going to church, there's no way I would have my kids just go to church and come home. Go to church and come home. They send the wrong message. Them. I would want them to teach someone else. I'd figure out what age do you like, a grade, a few grades down. i said, you need to get in and start serving because they need to know when they teach somebody else, they're going to learn more than I ever taught them or they heard from their youth group or whatever. It's when they pass it on that they get it. That's what Paul knew with Timothy. He, got, he says, Timothy, you've got to be passing it on to somebody and have them pass it on. I got a guy, a leader, who says, I want to grow in leadership. So I gave him a leadership book. He read it. He says, I want to talk again. He said, not until I give him another book. Copy the same book. We're not talking until you go teach that very same book to somebody else. Why do I do that? He's not really learned it until he taught somebody else that principle. It's when you get them to teach somebody else, that's when it works. They need practice to teach somebody else. And so with all these kind of things Kathy and I are talking, this can be overwhelming. So I get, okay, here's the thing. So I'm a leader in my workplace. People need to know I love them first, and I need to model it right, and then I'm instructing them how I do it, and I need to set gracious boundaries, and I, put, I need to have them practice it. I feel about two inches tall and a failure. And that's not our heart. 
That's not even God's heart. If you feel like a failure or two inches tall, that is Satan tempting you. You feel like a jerk, a loser, you failed. God is at work. And Kathy has the most important thought today. Yes, that's remember. It's about love and God's grace, not perfection. Not being perfect, guys. It's about love and God's grace. Like Tim said, there's always the list that you don't get to. There's always the regrets. Oh, I wish I had done that differently, said that differently, could have that moment over. But we're not God. We're never going to do it perfectly. And honestly, I know in my own life, the things that we learn the best are probably, and the way that our kids will learn the best, is when we make those mistakes and we are imperfect, but we have the opportunity to show God's love, God's grace, show the apology, that's probably when our disciples and kids are really going to learn the best. Yeah, guys, God has picked flawed people to pass this on. He could have picked perfect angels or some perfect system. Instead, he picked us who are flawed, who don't do things right, who don't catch things, who drop things, who blow it, make mistakes. Proverbs 10 verse 12, though, Proverbs 10 verse 12, love covers all sins. An environment of love covers all sins. And God's at work. God loves your child. He loves your disciple. He loves your team at work far more than you do. And for whatever reason, God loves picking flawed people to work through. Because if he picked perfect people to work through, we get confused and take all the credit. Well, it's because I'm so, I agree, I'm so wonderful. It's flawed people saying, listen, God worked in spite of me in many ways. That's what God did. God's at work. It is not about perfection, but God's love and God's grace. What is that one area that God's prompted you? Not the 10 areas, not the 15 areas, the one area. And by the way, don't beat yourself. There's people right now, we can almost hear it. Go, go, go. They're beating themselves up for the past. I can't believe what I did. That is not of God. It's not of God. God loves you. He's like, the past is the past. Turn the page. That's in the past now. What is the one step on the new page God wants you to take? Maybe it is love. Maybe somebody, you become wah, wah, wah to somebody and you suspect, I don't know if they know how much I love them. You need to work on that. Maybe it's modeling. Ugh, I keep telling them to do stuff, but I don't do that. I think I need to adjust, I need to model what I'm asking. Maybe it's instruction. I don't know if I've passed on to anybody else how I pray or read. I do know that. How I spend time with God, hear from God, follow Him. I do know that. I can pass that on. Maybe it's boundaries. I think I need to adjust how I handle broken boundaries or setting boundaries. Maybe it's practice. People I'm mentoring, I've got to get them to pass on to somebody else. Otherwise, they'll never really learn it. What is the one thing, not 15 things, the one thing that's jumping out that's God speaking to you? Turn the page in God's love. Think of the one thing. And by faith, step out in confidence that God loves you in the one thing God is asking. Let's pray. God, I pray for all of us who are followers of Jesus that at some point in our life, we have realized that we were a sinner and we placed our faith in Jesus and received you. We gave you control. I pray for people who are born spiritually into God's family. I was born at 19 spiritually into your family. We pray for those that they would not beat themselves up, 
not have tremendous regrets that are debilitating, but to receive your forgiveness and love and turn the page and take the one step. Whatever that step is, God, that area that you prompted them, what is that one thing? May they cry out to you and beg you to work in that area. I encourage you, if you have that one thing, would you pray right now to God and say, Dear Jesus, this is the, seems like the most important thing for me. Would you help me to do blank? Ask him. Let me ask you this. I said earlier, Hebrews 12 describes the fact that God disciplines his children. In the very same way, he does private discipline by speaking to you with his Holy Spirit. He does private discipline sometimes by allowing something not to go well. And if you look back, you might even tie it to rejecting the prompting of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have, if that's not a normal experience for you, if you don't even know what it's like to have God prompting in your life, you ought to question, man, have I ever received Jesus in the first place? Do I even know what that's like? Have I ever been born into God's family? Because God doesn't discipline other people's kids any more than we discipline other people's kids. You discipline your own kids. My question is, you've been born in the, are you God's kid? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? You can do so right now. Just pray, dear Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want to be your child. I want to be born into your family. I place my faith in your death and resurrection, and I give myself to you. Give yourself to him in prayer. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. I pray you'd hear our prayers and answer them. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.